0: Today I'm going to bring to close a series that I have been in over the past several months. It's a series I'm calling Show Us the Father. It feels like I've walked the road to Emmaus on this journey, and it feels as though Jesus was with me, and it feels as though he opened the scriptures and my heart burned with the scriptures. Today I'm going to minister through a message I'm calling Love Lifted Me. I get emotional when I look back across this journey that we have been on throughout this series. There was no way for me to have known in advance how many messages I was going to minister, what the Holy Spirit wanted to say week by week, month by month. I just, message by message, I just followed his lead. The one realization that I did come to is that they were more than just sermons, they were discoveries of daddy's love, field trips of graces, explorations of daddy's heart. Don't you love to go on field trips? Don't you love to go on explorations? Don't you love to discover things? And throughout this series, I have aspired to bring the Father out of the shadows of the old covenant of law and into the light of the new covenant of grace. I have pulled back the veil of religion, the veil that has hidden his goodnesses and his graces and even his love from us far too long. I have strongly desired, I have deeply desired for us to see that the bride of Christ has been extravagantly garnished and richly sequined in the incontrovertible virtues of the Father's heart, none greater than his love, friends. It's a virtue of God. From the front cover of our Bibles to the back cover, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire book is about daddy's love. The whole book is about daddy's love. What kind of love am I talking about? I'm talking about the love that came with demonstrations. I'm talking about unwavering love. It's not here one moment and gone the next. It doesn't waver. It doesn't move in and out. It is always constant, unwavering love. I'm talking about unadulterated love. A love that is so pure and so innocent and so Powerful and so undefiled. This is the Father's love. It's an unadulterated love. I'm talking about an unsuspicious love. A love that doesn't micromanage everything. God knows everything that's going on, He sees it all, He knew in advance, yet He's not standing over your shoulder micromanaging every single move. He's given us a will, friends. A will is a powerful thing, it's an unsuspicious love. And friends, it's an unconditional love. God attaches no conditions to this love. You hear people put conditions on his love all the time. And I get it. That's where they're at. That's what they believe. But please, let's stay in the scriptures. Let's stay in the word. Let's stay in the new covenant. You do not find conditions attached to his love. It's an unconditional love. It's the love that has been there from the beginning of time. It's the love that loved us while we were yet sinners. The love that justified us by his son's blood. It's the love that was used and abused, bruised and refused, yet kept on loving. What kind of love is that? It's daddy's love. The love that lifted humanity from the pit of despair and despondency and disconnection and disruption and destruction. I'm talking about the love that lifted Christ to the cross. I'm talking about the love that lifted you, the love that lifted me, daddy's love. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, we find daddy's love. I just have a love affair with these scriptures. I have a love affair with Romans chapter 5. It speaks such grace. It speaks such truth. Look at these words. I like how the apostle Paul says this. I kind of do the same thing. You see? You see? At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Then look at these words. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to look at that word demonstrated right there because I don't think you get the full flavor when you just look at it. I think we get it a little bit. But behind that word demonstrated is a Greek word, but it's better interpreted as saying introduced. God introduced his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was introduced by his father On two occasions, once in the Jordan River and once on the Mount of Transfiguration. On both occasions, the father did two things. He expressed his love for his son and he expressed the fact that he was well pleased with his son. He said it in the Jordan River, he said it on the mountain. So, from the river to the mountain, friend, God has said the same thing I'm in love with you, son. I am well pleased with you, son. Now let those words just cascade again over your heart this morning that God loves you and that God is well pleased with you. The Father introduced his love through every miracle. He introduced his love through every deliverance. He introduced his love through every salvation. There are times when demonstrations of love are not accompanied by words. Did you know that? See, you don't need words to always let someone you know you love them. I'm telling you, they're just a look, there's just a smile, there's a touch. There's a million things you can do. There are times when love is introduced without words. In fact, in the scriptures, we only find three occasions that I know of anyway, where God audibly spoke to Jesus. Of course he was speaking in his mind all the time. But you would think, Jesus? The Father's only begotten Son? Surely you're going to talk to the heavens all the time. No, you don't see much of that, friends. Only a couple of times where you see audible voice, three times I believe it is, that the Father spoke to Jesus through an audible voice. One of those places was not the cross. The Father was silent at the cross. If there was ever a time, come on, we've been in situations we think, man, if I could just have a good friend call me right now. I can't tell you how many times over the years as a minister I've been called to the emergency room. Sometimes just for little things, sometimes for more serious things, sometimes for people that were dying. I've been called there many, many times. And I would go there and encourage them, laugh with them, pray with them, touch them, anoint them, do all kinds of things. Spend some time with them, rub their feet, hold their hands. I did all kinds of things. And then one time, a few years back, I found myself in the emergency room. Nothing serious going on. That's just where I ended up at. And it was at night, I remember this. And as I was looking at the the halls and watching the nurses walk back and forth and the doctors and all the activity at the counter, I couldn't help but think, Daddy, where's the person that's supposed to come and pray for me at? I've done this so many times for other people. Now, I'm not having a pity party, but it sounds a little bit like one, doesn't it? I'm thinking, Daddy, where's my prayer warrior? Where's the person that's going to come and lay hands? I thought, if I could just see a friend right now, I would be so encouraged. So if there was ever a time that Jesus needed to hear the audible voice of his father saying, I love you, son, your precious son. I'm well pleased with you, son. Surely it would have been the cross. Yet the father was silent a time when Jesus was experiencing searing pain and agonizing torture from the crown of His head to the soles of His feet. And as I was meditating upon this yesterday, I thought, wow, Jesus was so secure in His Father's love that as the cross lifted Him, it was synonymous with Love lifted me. Isn't that beautiful? So secure in his heart. The cross, friends, is arms wide open. Do you see it? That's how daddy receives us at all times. (laughs) The father's arms were wide open. Jesus' arms wide open for his father. I want you to know something. I have finally come to a place in my relationship with the Father that I don't require a daily voice to introduce me as His Son, or I don't need the heavens to audibly declare that the Father is well pleased with me. Now most people will go through their entire life and never once hear the audible voice of the Lord. I can say I've heard the audible voice of the Lord two or three times. I don't need that today. You know why? Because he communicated that message loud and clear at the cross. He affirmed that truth when he introduced his son Jesus to me at salvation. He lit me up, friends, like a Christmas tree that night. And whether you felt anything or you didn't when you came to Christ, that doesn't matter. The truth of the matter is he has written your name in the same book mine's written in. Amen. There's not two separate books for believers. There's one book. It's called the Lamb's book of life. Your name is there. My name is there. Amen. Now I'm not in any real hurry for him to open those books because I know when he opens up those books, he's wrapped everything up and there's a whole lot of people that still need Jesus. Right. So I'm not in any real big hurry for that to happen. When it happens, it will happen. It will happen exactly when he has planned it. He affirmed that truth the night he introduced me to Jesus through salvation. I'm talking about the one who for generations desired to see the bride of Christ extravagantly garnished in grace and richly sequined in the incontrovertible virtues of the Father's heart, none greater than daddy's love. Now I want to draw your attention to the word powerless. Do you see that word The word powerless means without breath. (laughs) That's what powerless means. One thing I've come to know, I've had the wind knocked out of me a couple times in my life. I fell out of a tree one time, landed right on my chest, and I'm telling you what, I thought my world was going to end. I got in a fist fight when I was a little kid, and someone socked me in the chest, and I thought my world was going to end. And when I had COVID back in November, it wasn't as bad as the tree and the fist, but I'm telling you what, it knocked the wind out of me for sure. I know what the relationship is like between oxygen, breath, if you will, air, if you will, and strength. Come on. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to walk across the room 10 feet and have all the bells in your room going off because your oxygen saturation's dipped too low. I know what that's like. And so, as these scriptures open, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we were without breath, there was a time that God began it all. He took the dust of the ground, the dirt of the ground, I don't know, he probably scooped up a bug or two, a leaf or two, maybe a twig, it didn't matter. He just made Adam, you know, <laughs> like we would do. And he looked at Adam. Adam. And he thought, this ain't going to do. You're missing something. You're missing breath. You're missing power. He was powerless. He laid there powerless, lifeless, breathless, unanimated. Adam was laying there like a flat tire. No air whatsoever. No oxygen whatsoever. And then the scriptures tell us that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul not just Adam but man humanity became a living soul how by the breath of God in other words it took the breath of God to bring life do you see that it took the breath of God to bring life and then As we skip through a whole lot of Bible, thousands of years, we move from that first Adam to that last Adam, Jesus Christ. As we move into the future, thousands of years, we're introduced to this man named Jesus. Another man, the last Adam, the Bible calls him, Jesus Christ. The one who has the power to transform throughout. The scriptures tell us that from the cross, Jesus uttered those last words, it is finished. And then it says, and then he breathed his last breath. Now, why would it tell us that? Everybody breathes their last breath at death. Why would it give us that detail? Why do we need to know that? I watched my mama take her last breath. I watched my son take his last breath. I've watched many people take their last breath. Friends, the breath that you inhale, the last breath that you inhale, I guarantee is coming back out. It will just seep out after death. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus breathed his last breath. And then it says he gave up his spirit. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Who did he give his last breath to? And who did he give his last breath for? Isn't that a good question? Who did he give it to? Who did he give it for? Number one, the ungodly. You say, now come on, Mark. Surely that one's not on the list. Yeah, that one's on the top of the list, friends. Because everybody was ungodly at that time. He gave his last breath for the ungodly. He gave his last breath for the powerless, the sinner. He gave his last breath for his enemies. He gave his life. And he breathed his last breath on the used, abused, bruised, and refused. Jesus introduced humanity to his father's love through his innocence on the cross, his purity from the cross. He introduced, he's saying, this is what my father looks like. The ultimate sacrifice. This is my father. He will go to extreme limits to put breath back in you, to put life back in you. He gave his life for all, especially for them that were in a pit of despair and despondency and destruction. He brought us out so that each of us could stand and not stare, but stand and declare, what? When I was powerless, when I was without breath, when I was lifeless, When I was unanimated, when I was like a flat tire on the side of the road, when I was unresponsive, and when I was disconnected from life, it was then, it was at that moment that love lifted me. The scriptures tell us that we have been crucified with Christ. That means as love lifted Christ, love lifted you love lifted me. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, friends, come on. If you were justified by anything but his blood, wouldn't you think there'd be a comma there? And then they would keep adding until they exhausted everything you were justified by? Of course they would. No, it's just by his blood. We are justified. That word justified, come on. It means declared innocent. You are as pure as the day is long. You are as pure as the driven snow. You are innocent in his eyes. And it says, since we have now been justified by his blood, we're innocent, but we don't always feel that way, do we? I think I've shared with this church before, A time in my life back in the 1980s, I had to take a polygraph test for the work I worked at. Something came up missing. Everybody had a key to the front door, had to take a polygraph test. And when I took that test, it felt like my heart was going to beat right out of my head. I could feel my head throbbing. Here I am, a totally innocent man, never took a thing, but my emotions didn't tell me that. My emotion says you are guilty, you ought to be ashamed, you're going to get condemned, you're going to lose your job. That's what my emotions told me, friends. And this is where a big portion of the body of Christ gets stuck. They get stuck over in their feelings, they get stuck over in their emotions, how they're feeling about something. Here I was sitting in that chair, wired for 220, innocent, but felt guilty. I didn't know that I'd been justified by his blood and his blood alone. And it says, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Through who? (laughs) Through him. You are saved from the wrath of God through Christ. God has nothing against you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not got an attitude with you. God has nothing against you. You have been justified. You have been declared innocent, pure, holy through Christ. Do you see that in the scripture? I hope you can see that. Hope we don't have a point that we need to argue here. You are justified by his blood. And then it says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Isn't that beautiful? What is this word, reconciled? Reconciled comes from two Greek words, this compound word, kata lasso. Kata means throughout, and lasso means transformed. When God says you have been reconciled, he's literally saying you have been transformed. You have been changed throughout the whole man. You're looking at a man that's been transformed. You're looking at a man that's been changed. Doesn't mean every little thing I do is perfect, but I'm telling you where it counts. It is perfect in there. It's a perfect environment. I have been transformed. Catalaso. That's what that word reconciled means. You say, Pastor Mark, in the face of such good news, and that's good news, in the face of such good news, how is it possible for believers in Christ to toggle in and out of their understanding of daddy's love? Just when we thought we had it down, and then we go, could you go over that with me one more time? Okay, now I've got it. And then next week, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but there's just one more question I got to ask you. Can you just go over? That was my Columbo. Can you just go over that with me one more time? How is it possible for believers in Christ to toggle in and out of their appreciation of Daddy's love? How is it possible to toggle in and out of our awareness of Daddy's love? Good questions, aren't they? Because I'm talking about something that every believer can say, yeah, been there, done that. (laughs) yeah, that happened to me this morning. Yeah, that happened to me yesterday. That happened to me last week. We've been there. We've done that. How does a child of God go from, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. How do we do that? Well, those are poignant questions with a rather simple answer. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. In fact, they're so simple, if you'd have paid money to get in here today, you'd probably get up and just leave and go up. Anybody could have come up with that. Friends, it's the simplicity of the gospel that transforms us. And so many people are running around because they're looking for a truth that they haven't heard yet. Come on, I've got a niche that I can't scratch somewhere. Give me something I've never heard before. No, you need the simplicity of the gospel. So what are those culprits? What are those culprits that make us toggle in and out? They make us vacillate between God's opinion and our own opinion. I'm talking about the way we view God's opinion of us, that's one, and how we view our opinion of God and then how we view our opinion of ourselves. We're all over the board. Would you like to know what these two culprits are? The two main culprits that cause us to vacillate between two opinions. The culprits that cause us to toggle in and out of the understanding and appreciation and awareness of daddy's love. The culprits that rent space in our head and toggle our emotions between he loves me, he loves me not. The two main culprits, friends, listen to me carefully, are erroneous doctrine and rogue emotions. I'm going to let that settle for just a second, because that seems a little weird. Erroneous doctrine and rogue emotions, that's right. The doctrine that I'm speaking about is the operating software that you've been programmed with everybody's been programmed with an operating software. It's what we got used to growing up as a child. We have the most wonderful dog. His name is Batman. He is such a sweetheart. Never growl at you. You could take food away when he's eating. He's just a darling of a dog. He was trained as a service dog and then given to us when he was about two years old. And I'm telling you, you could cook a steak and you could leave it on the counter. And then you could go to church and you could come home. And I'm telling you, that steak would still be on the counter. Not every dog could do that, could they? But yet every morning when I get up, if you leave Batman out, Batman will be on the couch. And I'm not a big couch pet person, you know, okay? I don't have a problem if you do that. That's your situation. But I don't like my animals on my couch, okay? All right. And every morning when I get up, I'll come out there and Batman will be over there on the couch. And the second he sees me, he knows something. Oh, He just kind of slithers off the couch and then walks over and gets on his bed. Why does he do that? because he's so obedient in so many ways, and he's such a good dog. That doesn't mean he's bad, but what we found out is that as a puppy, the owner, the trainer of this dog allowed him to be on the furniture. And so his software says, this is familiar. I like this. I was taught that this is okay. And it's going to take a lot of retraining in my little doggy brain to get me to understand that you don't like this. So my default is after you guys go to bed, because he won't do it while we're up. But after you guys go to bed, my default is there's the couch. Looks nice and comfortable, even though he's got a nice, comfortable mat there. Isn't that crazy? But do you understand it through that illustration that we we have these defaults, we have this programming that's been going on. And so when I say erroneous doctrine, we've been programmed with things that are simply not true. Valerie preached about them last week about women ministering in the church. We've got all this structure that's been built up in our hearts and in our minds, and we default back to it. We don't want to change, kind of like that polygraph test. You know what was going on there with me? Rogue emotions, emotions that just got carried away. It kind of threw me for a loop because when I walked into that room, I thought, I'm just going to ace this thing and be done. And even as he was wiring me up, that was no problem. Then he started asking those questions and something just happened at that moment. You know, I can't explain it. Rogue emotions, That's as close as I can get. Emotions that just got like a dog off the leash and just ran rampant all over the place. The two main culprits are erroneous doctrine and rogue emotions. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. You cannot have one without the other. You show me a man that has built his foundation upon erroneous doctrine, and I'll show you a man that at least has intermittent rogue emotions. If a person is programmed with erroneous doctrine, then he or she will ultimately manifest rogue emotions Friends, what we need to do is we need to allow the new software of the new covenant to be loaded into our hearts. Reprogrammed. It takes a while. I wish it was that simple that you could just take out one hard drive and put in a new hard drive. Friends, we've got hardware inside of our heart. It's a process. And there's mixture going on for an awful long time, but you can never be free until you've been reprogrammed with the new covenant of grace. How many of you believe that a full-grown lion, if you got caught out in the jungle with it, could rip you to shreds and then devour you? How many of you believe that? (laughs) But if that same lion had been raised by you as a cub, it would have a different view and opinion of you, even though you don't look like him. You see, he has four legs. You have two. He has big teeth. You have little. He has a lot of hair. You have not so much hair, okay? The lion you raised the lion you fell in love with the lion that you nurtured is not vacillating between two opinions that lion has a good view and opinion of you because he was programmed with loving care do you see how that works in his mind he is singing the song we are family come on i got all my sisters in me come on some of you are from the 80s now you remember that don't you we are family. That's kind of what's going on in this little lion mind. That lion is not wavering between, are you a lunchable? <laughs> or are you a lovable? <laughs> no, he's got it down. I'm not saying you should trust one, friends. I still would have a hard time getting around. One. I've been around a big cat before. I've been within this close of a tiger that stood about that tall, weighed three, 400 pounds. And I'm telling you, it's intimidating. Why wouldn't he be toggling in and out of two opinions? Because from a cub, he has been taught that you love him. You care about him. You want to be a friend of his. Friends, our children need to be taught from birth that God loves them. You need to program their little hearts at birth so much easier then wait until they're set in their ways. Program them from birth that God loves you. He loves them with unwavering love. He loves them with unadulterated love, unsuspicious love, unconditional love. The love that has been there from the beginning of time, the love that loved us while we were yet sinners, the love that justified us by his blood, the love that was used, abused, refused, and bruised, yet he kept on loving us. The people of God need to be taught that God does not operate by rogue emotions, friends. I know we can get carried away like that, but God is not that way. God is, yes, emotional God. He loves. He's gracious. These are emotions. We have God-given emotions, but I'm telling you, his emotions do not get carried away like that. He does not have just a bad day and say, Mark, you're done. No, no, he doesn't do that. As believers continue to grow in grace, their declaration should not be that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. How many of you have heard that one one time, huh? That I pulled myself up by my bootstrap, but rather love lifted me. See, you got to get you out of the way. Like Fred was talking about a DIY person, you know, that do-it-yourself guy. No, love lifted you. Love lifted me. It's Jesus and his finished work of grace. His grace does not come with conditions. Therefore, there are no side effects. Kind of like medication with side effects. No side effects with God and his grace. Erroneous doctrine teaches us that our father will lop us off if we color outside the lines too frequently. Come on. Come on. You heard that growing up. If you cross a certain line, if you breach a certain threshold, that God is just going to lop you off. No, he's not going to lop us off in those times. He's going to lift us up. That's what he does. He reaches down. He sees the vine dragging on the ground. He doesn't get out his snips and snip and say, you're worthless. No, he lifts it up and he ties it to another vine that it might be strengthened by the vine. Friends, to teach that the Father is going to cut us off is enough to make anybody afraid. I remember when a minister spoke words in the listener's heart, and I happened to be present. This was many years ago. I wasn't established in grace back then, but he spoke the words that you could do something that uh, would cut yourself off from God. I remember rogue emotions taking over. I mean... Nobody in that room could have known how it was affecting me, but I'm telling you, it just devastated me to think that God could cut me off. And because, again, I wasn't walking in the finished work of grace, I thought he knew more than I did, and I would come later to figure out, okay, (laughs) Father, that is so ridiculous, so crazy. And the scriptures do not bear that out, only if you take them out of context. Only if you look at them through a lens of a conditional God. Only if you look at them through the lens of a judgmental God. Then they seem to say what you want them to say. But that doesn't change the reality. You see, my rogue emotions didn't change the fact that I was innocent. In fact, two weeks later, I asked the people I worked for, I said, did you ever get the results back from that polygraph test? They said, yeah. I said, well, you didn't say anything. I said, well, what were the results? Oh, you were innocent. I said, well... (laughs) <laughs> well, I could have told you that, but my emotions didn't make me feel that way. The side effect of fear. In other words, what happens when fear begins to reign in your heart? The side effect of fear is that people manifest rogue emotions. When you get afraid, there's emotions that begin to take over, fight or flight emotions, as you know. Emotions that put up fences between themselves and the lion from the tribe of Judah. You see him as a lion who wants to devour you, so we've got to put up some sort of fence between us. And that fence can come in a cornucopia of colors, friends. I'm not going to get into all of them, but we do put up fences. We put up fences between us and the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion who loves us with all of his heart. The lion who transformed us throughout when he reconciled us to the Father through his death on the cross. Friends, his death on the cross was our death also. His burial was our burial. His resurrection was our resurrection. As it turns out, we look more like the lion than we know and we give credit for. We look like the lion from the tribe of Judah. And it's not his heart to go around and show off how big his roar is. He's got a gentle whisper. Do you remember that when Elijah was hiding in the cave because Jezebel was coming after him? God sent this hurricane. He stayed in the cave. He sent this tornado. He stayed in the cave. He sent this earthquake. He stayed in the cave. And then finally, the Bible says that God sent a gentle whisper Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? And when he said those words, The Bible says it brought him to the mouth of the cave. Friends, the mouth of the cave is the entrance if you're going in. But the mouth of the cave is the exit if you're coming out, right? There's only one mouth on a cave. It doesn't have two mouths. And I'm telling you, this doctrine of conditional love, conditional salvation will lock you in a cave forever. But it's that gentle whisper, Son, I love you. Son, I'm well pleased with you. It will bring you to the mouth of the cave, which is your exit out of darkness, your exit out of that hard place, your exit out of that trap that you've been in for so long. His death was our death, His burial was our burial, His resurrection was our resurrection. Like I said, as it turns out, we look more like Jesus than we could ever know. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, look at these words. How many of you love these scriptures? I do. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that? Crucifixion and love go together. Faith and love go together. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless. You know what nevertheless means? It means, on the other hand, I live. I'm crucified with Christ. On the other hand, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which i now liveth in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me and then look at what he says he says i do not frustrate the grace of god isn't it interesting he would bring that in there he just talked about crucifixion he just talked about daddy's love he just talked about christ living in you and he says. I do not frustrate the grace of God. What has that got to do with what you just said, Paul? And then he says, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, he's saying, this was all my idea. What are those two scriptures telling us? That when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, we were lifted with him. We were crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live. How do we live? It tells us there, we live by the faith of the Son of God. It's His faith. He gave us His faith. Every man has measured the gift of faith. Every man is measured the measure of faith. We live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave Himself for us. As I was thinking last night, I thought, man, if it were possible, if Jesus would just walk in here and we had this scripture upon the board. And I had one question I could just ask Jesus about that scripture. And I said something like, Jesus, was it the Romans that killed you? Or was it the Jews that lifted you to the cross? I believe that Jesus would respond with these words. Neither. Love lifted me to the cross. Love for daddy, love for you, love for me, love for the bride, that's what lifted me to the cross. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, we discover these words. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Now, I just got through telling you, the Romans technically didn't take his life. The Jews didn't technically take his life. Jesus laid his life down. Because if Jesus would not have wanted it to end, he had opportunity in front of Pilate. He could have given him the right answers. Pilate was trying to find a reason, trying to find a way to just release him. But Jesus knew it was the right moment of time. So Jesus is saying these words in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I'll lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Do you see those words? Jews didn't do it. Romans didn't do it. Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus laid his life down for you. He said, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Isn't that awesome? What is this man made of? God in flesh. Deity in flesh. Why is he going to the cross? Why is he going to be lifted up on the cross? Did he do something wrong? No. You did. I did. That's why he went to the cross. If you were to put diesel into a gasoline-powered vehicle, the engine would run just Fine. That is until the gasoline in the fuel line is used up. The gas tank is in the back of the car, the engine's in the front, and so there must be a line to get fuel from one place to the other, right? So you dump diesel in the gas tank, (laughs) you'll drive out of that gas station like nothing happened. But eventually you'll run through the gas that's in the line and it will start bringing diesel up through the line. After that, you will have a major problem on your hands. After all, you've added a fuel source to that vehicle. It was not made for. Do you see that? Friends, we were made, according to the scriptures, the righteousness of God in Christ. Righteousness was daddy's idea, not ours. Our fuel source is the love of Jesus Christ. Our vehicle is, That's our spirit, our soul, our body. This is a vehicle that you're looking at right here. This is a vehicle. Our vehicle was made to operate by love. We do not do well when the old covenant law is added to our vehicle. You know what happens? We spit, we sputter, we foam from the mouth, and we are left on the side of the road half dead. This is what happens. Condemnation is a fuel source. And it comes through the programming of erroneous doctrine. How do I know that? Because the scriptures tell us there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you will just move over and you will take ownership of that verse, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you'll just take ownership of that verse, it will do wonders for you. The problem with condemnation is, you know what it does? It throws us back into the pit of despair and desperation. It strips away the appreciation, the awe, the enamor that we have for daddy's love. It will make you feel guilty when in reality you are totally innocent. Condemnation is like rain on your field trips. It just wrecks everything. Condemnation will beat you down, but it will never give you a hand up. The scriptures tell us that in Christ, there is no condemnation, friends. That word no is Udais, uday, and Heis brought together. Not even one. It's a little word with a big heart. Not even one condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The next time condemnation comes knocking on your door, why don't you pull that scripture out like a sword? The sword of the Spirit is the word of the Spirit. We fight against the enemy with the word. Do you remember when Satan came to attack Jesus in the wilderness when he'd been fasting for 40 days? Stuff like, if you really are the son of God, trying to get him to question his identity. He already knows he's the son of God. Why would you say something like that? Devil thought, I'm just going to paint you in a corner here. If you really are the son of God, then command that stone to become bread. Jesus was so smart, he said, it is written. He said, it's in the word that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see what he did? He pulled out the sword. It is written in the word. And he kept doing it. He did that three times, and finally Jesus said, get out of here, you bother me. And he had to leave. The scriptures tell us that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So when rogue emotions overwhelm you, when they come and they attack you, when they're on your heels like a little napping dog, you pull out the word of God. You get word in your heart. You know in advance what you're going to pull on him. So the next time condemnation knocks, and friends, I'm telling you, I am living what I'm teaching. I'm living what I'm preaching here. I have to go through this too. Because occasionally condemnation will come and knock on Mark's door. And I will say there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I am in Christ Jesus. Not even one. I'm not even entertaining at one time. Not even one. Isn't that awesome? Like diesel in a gasoline engine is condemnation in a new creation's heart. It's just out of place. It's not right. At one time we had a diesel car and we had a gasoline car. And I always had to remind myself which car I was in because they were both Volkswagens and they looked a lot alike in the inside. And I had to think, wow. Okay. I know the diesel won't fit into the gas, but the gas will fit into the diesel. And I don't want to wreck this car. So I had to think it through. There's no condemnation. I've thought it through, friends, for those that are in Christ Jesus and the scriptures support that. As sons and daughters of God, I hope you see that we're not compatible with condemnation. We were not made for condemnation. We were made for Him. We were made for Christ. We were made for the Father. We were made for the Holy Spirit. The stealth truth, in other words, the truth that seems sometimes to fly underneath the radar undetected, the stealth truth about this is that we most often don't even realize when erroneous doctrine has been added to our vehicle, been added to our tank, because it's so slick. You want to know why? Because we got enough grace and truth in the pipeline, in the fuel line, that When it finally starts coming through, we've lost the association of why we're feeling this way. What happened here? Well, someone sowed something into your life. Maybe it's something you heard. Maybe it's something you read. Maybe it's something you've taken out of context. I don't know where it comes from, but it comes from all those sources. But I'm telling you, it shows up. It manifests and all of a sudden you're feeling it and you have to have a default system, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Friends, we need to settle the issue in our hearts once for all that we cannot be separated from the love of Christ the love that lifted you the love that lifted me in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 to 39 we find these words who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written. I love that. Paul reaches back to the verbiage that Jesus used against Satan in the wilderness when he says, as it is written. What was Paul saying? I'm going to go back to the word. I'm not just going to make stuff up. He says, as it is written. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Look at these words. Who loved us loved us, for I am convinced, I love that, I love his confidence, he said, I'm sure about this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation." will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that's a pretty extensive list, isn't it? Angels can't do it, demons can't do it, you can't do it, your neighbor can't do it. He said, let me just summarize this thing. I've given you a list of a whole bunch of things, but he said, in case I left something out, he said, nothing in creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me ask you some questions. Have you ever entertained the thought that hell might be your destination? Well, I'm going to try to be a little bit pragmatic for you here, okay? Will Christ be in hell? No. Will the people in hell be separated from God? Yes. You see, that's what hell is. It's separated from God. Well, believers who couldn't keep their minds from toggling between he loves me, he loves me not be in hell. No. <laughs> Why? Because you are not saved by your emotions. You are saved by the blood of Christ. You are justified by the blood. Will believers who had a habit of using the wrong fuel in their vehicle be in hell? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the fuel of condemnation. I'm talking about if you've lived a life of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation all the time, even as a believer, will you be in hell? No. Will believers that held grudges against the ones who used them, abused them, bruised them, and refused them, and they held a grudge against that, will they be in hell? The answer again is no. I want you to see the last few words again in Romans chapter 8 that we're looking at. The apostle Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, I wish he would have just had a comma there and put, and rogue emotions. But rogue emotions fall under the category of nothing else in creation. Rogue emotions. Nothing else in creation can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, when Jesus was lifted up, we were lifted up. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance. The Bible says rising up, lifting up to God. That's how he sees us. He smells us. We're like the most fragrant flowers, the most fragrant bouquet of flowers. He says, Mark, you smell so good. You smell like righteousness. You smell like my son. You've been hanging around with my son. Yes. And my son living in you. Yes. Son, I want you to know I love you. Son, I want you to know I'm well pleased with you. I want you to see the same scriptures. In the message translation, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39, the message. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? (laughs) There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. Next scripture. And then Eugene Peterson writes, we're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. None of this phases me. I'm like one of those ducks at the fair that just coming around eventually, you know, you pick one, look at the number. I'm like one of those ducks. And I know somebody's got a BB gun and about to pop me, but guess what? It doesn't phase me. Why? Because I know God loves me, because I know Jesus loves me. I'm not fazed by what you think about me. Now, I wish you would think good things. Of course, we'd have a better conversation about it, right? It's kind of hard to have a conversation with a person that doesn't think good things about you, right? I mean, what are you going to do after you get beyond? Tell me, are you from the area? I don't like you. Uh, you, (laughs) Did you go to school around here? I, I can't stand you. Oh, come on, folks. Eugene Peterson here is saying, none of this phases us. Why? Because our programming, our default system, our software has been changed, thoroughly changed throughout. And he says, my default system is Jesus loves me. Friends, that's one of the first songs we learned to sing as kids. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Apostle Paul says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us don't you love that it's all what he's done for you we are so busy trying to be soldiers all the time friends retire would you get out of that army stuff would you draw the pension would you the pension of his goodness the pension of his grace the pension of his love start drawing on that pension for a while did you know that it wasn't until the 17th century that the microscope was invented? Under the microscope, scientists discovered a world of microorganisms that they didn't even know existed, such as bacteria and algae and protozoa, fungi and viruses. Now, let me ask you a question Did the microscope bring about the microorganisms, or did the microscope bring out? the microorganisms. And that's right. It brought them out. The microscope brought out that which was already there. It had been there forever. It just brought it out prior to the understanding of germs, you know what people believe? They believe when a disease hits you, they believe when a sickness hits you, that that was the hand of God moving against you. That was the judgment of God, and people believed that for centuries and centuries. They didn't know a thing about germs, the microscope wasn't invented. You see, rogue emotions will take you to places and keep you longer than you want to stay. Unfortunately, Many people still believe this today, that when something doesn't go right in their life, they lose their job, that it's the punishment of God. Friends, you lost your job probably because they're either downsizing or you weren't performing well. Okay, let's just get over all that stuff and start concentrating on Jesus and let him change the way you think. You say, what's your point in all that, Mark? It's the same way with the Father's love. The love that lifted Christ. The love that lifted you. The love that lifted me. His love has always been there. The cross of Christ didn't bring about the Father's love. The cross of Christ brought out the Father's love. The cross revealed the extent of the Father's love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is and was and will forever be the ultimate expression, the ultimate demonstration, the ultimate introduction, and the ultimate gift of his Father's love. He would come to show us the Father and the depths of His great love for us. He would come to walk His extravagantly garnished and perfectly sequined bride down an aisle to meet His Father. And at the end of the aisle, it wasn't the wedding as normal. At the end of the aisle was the cross. The cross that He would be crucified on, the cross that you would be crucified on. We were nailed to the cross with Christ. Hear the words of Jesus again. It is finished. Nothing can separate you from my love. I was listening to a comedian... The other day, I don't get a chance to do this very often, but he talked about how he and several others were on this small island. They were going to rent this small plane, and they were going to go from one little island to another. And he said a man came around with a clipboard uh, before they took off, and he was asking questions. And the first question he asked him was, uh, excuse me, how much do you weigh? And the man said, well, what do you need to know that? He said, well, we need to know how much fuel to put in the plane. He said, how about just filling it up? (laughs) You guys that fly planes understand this. you got to have a certain amount of fuel, and it changes based on cargo. It changes based on the amount of people. But I think his response was right. How about you just fill it up? We don't have to worry about that. It's a comical exchange, but it has a life application for us. We have been filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. The love that lifted Christ is the same love that lifted you. The love that lifted me. There are no greater demonstrations, no greater introductions than the cross. We are not partially full. We are not 10%, 20%, 30% full. That's an oxymoron, friends. We are full to the fullness of Christ. And exactly what is the fullness of God? Can you tell me, Pastor Mark? Sure, I can tell you. The fullness of God is the revelation of his inseparable love for us. That is the fullness of God. When you come to that reality, when you come to that understanding and that appreciation, that great truth, then you'll begin to see, wow, I have the fullness of God, not only in me, but working through me, touching lives, touching hearts. My closing scriptures are found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 19. I love these scriptures right here, don't you? The Apostle Paul is writing again. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Remember when we were powerless? when we had the breath knocked out of us, when we didn't have the spirit of God living in us, he said, I pray that he would strengthen you with power. I love that. He said, I pray that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, it's faith in Christ. Through faith, next scriptures. And I pray that you, look at these words, being rooted and established in love. In other words, he's saying you're not a bonsai tree with shallow roots in some little pan off in a corner somewhere. You've got the roots of like a mighty oak tree that go way down into the ground. He said you are rooted and you are established in love that you may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide. That word grasp, friends, means to seize. It means to take possession of. That you may take possession of this love. You may seize this love. That you may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How did he tell you the fullness of God was going to show up in your lives? He said it's going to happen when you come to the reality of how wide his love is and how deep and how long and how high is the love of Christ. He said when you get that revelation, you're going to find a fountain that just cannot contain itself flowing from you because the fullness of God always seeks its way out. Friends, as we walk through this life, we must remember that our fuel source is the love of God. Practice the love of God. We have to be intentional. We have to practice it at times. Nothing else works. I don't want to say nothing works as well. No, nothing else works, period. It's the love of God. It's a love that cannot be merited. It's a love that cannot be measured. And it's a love that cannot be minimized. I'm talking about the love that lifted Christ, the love that lifted you, the love that lifted me. And what did the apostle Paul instruct us to do with such love? He told us to seize it. He said, I want you to take possession of this love. Well, you can't grab love with your hands. That means you've got to take it in here in your mind. He said, I want you to seize this love in your heart, in your mind in your soul, in those emotions that were rogue at one time, I want you to seize it there. Seize it, take possession of such love. And then like Christ, he says, express, demonstrate, and introduce this love to others. Everywhere I go, I introduce the love of Christ to people. Sometimes it's just by being good to people, good to them. Friends, I'm a hot tea drinker. I have hot tea every morning. A couple of things that I've learned over the years about drinking tea is this. You cannot add a tea bag to hot water and not change the color of that water. And you cannot add a tea bag to hot water and not change the flavor of the water. You say, Pastor Mark, what's your point? In the same manner, you cannot establish the love of Christ in a man and not transform him throughout. When the love of Christ is established in a man, he will be transformed throughout. You cannot seize how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is and then toggle in and out of he loves me, he loves me not. You cannot be introduced to a love that loves the ungodly and loves the sinner and then vacillate between two opinions. And friends, you cannot find a love that was used, abused, bruised, and refused, yet kept on loving and not stand in awe of such love. What kind of love am I talking about? I'm talking about daddy's love the love that lifted Christ to the cross, the love that lifted you, the love that lifted me. In Jesus' name. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. There is an ocean of people out there that are still waiting to discover daddy's love. They're waiting to go on field trips of graces. They're waiting to go on explorations of daddy's heart. Let me ask you the question again. What is it that gets in the way? It's erroneous doctrine and rogue emotions. You see, under an old covenant mindset, you will never see yourself extravagantly garnished and richly sequined in the incontrovertible virtues of the Father's heart. One must be rooted and established in love. I'm talking about unwavering love, unadulterated love unsuspicious love and unconditional love the love that has been there from the beginning of time the love that loved us while we were yet sinners the love that justified us by his son's blood the love that was used abused bruised and refused yet kept on loving us The love that lifted humanity from the pit of despair. The love that cannot be merited. It cannot be marginalized. It cannot be minimized. It cannot be merited whatsoever. I'm talking about daddy's love. The love that lifted Christ. The love that lifted you. The love that lifted me. Friends, whether you hear the father's audible voice or not, The scriptures tell us that we are his beloved sons in whom he is well pleased. We are not powerless. We have love at our disposal and we are not without breath. We were crucified with Christ. Therefore, we possess the very life of Christ and we live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us if we could ask Jesus that one question again, that one single question, Jesus, was it the Romans that lifted you up? Jesus, was it the Jews that lifted you up? He would say, no, the Roman didn't lift me up. The Jew didn't lift me up. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Friends, the scriptures tell us that we have been justified by faith. That means we have been declared innocent. Don't you ever let an electronic device or a person make you feel guilty. These are simply rogue emotions that ebb and flow, they come and go. But the reality is, that we have been justified by his blood and reconciled, which means transformed throughout, through the death of his son. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let me ask you the question one last time. What kind of love is this? It's daddy's love the love that is wide and long, the love that is high and deep. It's the love that cannot be merited, cannot be measured, and cannot be minimized. It's the love that lifted Jesus. It's the love that lifted you. And it's the love that lifted me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to thank you so much. As I look back across the timeline, of these messages. What you wanted us to see was your heart. What a proper name to give this series Show Us the Father, richly sequined in the incontrovertible virtues of the Father's heart. And Daddy, I thank you so much. You have made it as plain as you can how beautiful your love is for us, that your love is undefiled, unadulterated. Your love is uncommon and unconditional. And we thank you, Father, that the Apostle Paul wrote it so plain when he said, nothing can separate us from such love. Father, we have been sealed in this love, this dynamic love. It's a living breath, the breath that you breathed into us at salvation, we get to exhale that breath everywhere we go onto people so they might see the goodness in the land of the living. Father, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.